The following program is for adult audiences only. Stephen Lancaster's Ghost Story is proudly sponsored by the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk Podcast. What you are about to hear is a true case file from paranormal investigator Stephen Lancaster. has a story, and it's not one I like to think about too often. This was a very sensitive case. Anytime I get a call or an email about a paranormal case revolving around children, I instantly jump on it. I'm a father myself, and children are so vulnerable to the world of the paranormal. I always think back to when I was 10 years old and had my experience. That experience molded me and set the stage for who I would later become. I survived my encounter, but not everybody does. So when I get a call about a family struggling with their children being attacked by an unseen force, I jump on it. I have taken many cases involving children in the past, and some of them did not end all too well. It is a responsibility, I suppose. But there have been many times I had to involve social services because there wasn't anything paranormal and the children were being abused. Stuff like that really shakes me up. This case was different, however, and I warn any sensitive listener out there that there is some rather intense material coming your way. And it's all true, very sadly. But it all led to a moment that still to this day blows my mind. But before me, before the family terrified out of their mind, there was something far worse. That far worse led to an extreme case involving children and a family and myself in a house that still to this day no person resides in. But it's the origin of this story that is of vital importance. It is the origin that created a hell house that not even Jesus Christ himself could stop. In 2002, a young family moved into a house in Eden, North Carolina. The husband was military and stationed overseas. His wife, Brittany, was pregnant with their first child. The house was a rental. The baby was born and the young mother lived on her own while her husband was deployed. They would often use video calling software to communicate so her husband could see his wife and newborn baby. As time went on, Brittany started acting bizarre and out of character during their video calling. Her husband would later go on to say that she would look like she had not bathed in weeks. She had dark circles under her eyes and just acted completely different. At first, he thought this was just the stress of having a newborn. But then his thoughts began to change. Weeks of video conferencing would go by and her husband would never get the opportunity to see this newborn son. Brittany would always have some excuse. The most common was that the baby was with her mother at the time he was video chatting. It didn't take long for the husband to become suspicious, however. It had been over a month since he was able to see his child. So, he called authorities. Law enforcement arrived at the house to question Brittany on the baby's whereabouts. She told them that somebody had broken into the house and kidnapped the baby. 
She even went as far as to damage the blinds in the window of the nursery to make it appear as if someone had broken in. But that didn't fool law enforcement. They noticed a foul odor plaguing the house. Their investigation of the smell led them to the attic. That was where they unfortunately found the baby dead inside a shoebox. They determined the baby had been dead for over six weeks. Brittany was arrested and immediately charged with murder. In her defense, she claimed that something supernatural in the house possessed her. She stated that a demon had killed her child. However, the paranormal has no place in the courtroom and she was tried for murder. And truly possessed people have no recollection of what occurred while under the influence of a demon. Supposedly. So her paranormal story didn't hold up. Still to this day, she is locked away in a North Carolina prison. Of course, after investigating the home myself, I have to wonder if Brittany did witness something paranormal and really had no way to explain it other than claiming possession. I mean, in all honesty, how do you explain something like that to law enforcement? I only consider this theory because of what I would later witness in the house myself. Considered a crime scene, the house remained vacant for nearly 10 years before the landlord decided to rent it again. He rented it to the Murray family. Within three months of the Murray family taking over the household, they started to experience strange occurrences within the home. It rattled them so much they lined nearly every room with crucifixes or pictures of Jesus Christ. But the paranormal activity wasn't targeting the adults. It was targeting their young daughters. The incident that pushed the Murray family over the edge was when their youngest daughter was discovered on the floor of the bathroom gasping for air. She had told her parents that something started strangling her. The young girl even had bruises and imprints of what appeared to be hands and fingertips around her neck. It wasn't long after that they contacted me to come and research their house. Two days later, my head investigator, Alan, and myself were on our way to Eden. Now, I will spare you the long process of interviewing both the parents and the children separately. In a case like this, I look for child abuse and drug and alcohol abuse. I did see the bruises on the young girl's neck. I had to be sure. But, either that young girl was a phenomenal actress or she was telling the truth. I found nothing during my preliminary investigation that would lead me to believe abuse of any kind was involved. The history of the house, however, did weigh on my mind. Here we were ten years later in a house in which an infant was discovered in the attic dead. This was the place where the original tenant swore that something evil caused the incident. Now in 2012, children were being attacked again. Mr. Murray told me himself that he had witnessed a tall shadow figure at the end of the hall. Where he saw this figure, ironically, was directly underneath the entrance to the attic. So the attic was turning out to look like the paranormal hotspot, so to speak, but I was going to have to prove that. Alan and I advised the Murrays to stay with family or friends for the next few days while we lived in their house and attempted to figure out the paranormal mysteries. They obliged. They wanted answers. So Alan and I moved in and began setting up for a weekend of paranormal research. Our main point of focus was of course going to be the attic, so the hallway leading to the entrance was going to be heavily surveyed. We set up a laser grid that uncovered the entire hallway. If anything passed through one of those lasers, an alarm would sound notifying us. Just picture something out of a spy movie. 
The hallway was lined with hundreds of green lasers. Nothing was going to pass through there without being noticed. Of course, we had a camera pan down the hallway as well that was triggered by the lasers. If something broke through one of the lasers, the camera would be filming. The Murray's entire house was decorated religiously, as I noted before. When Alan and I did our initial sweep to log electromagnetic fields, the areas with religious objects registered the highest. Now, this could have been due to faulty wiring behind the walls, or it could have been something divine. Either way, the reeds were high. Mr. Murray told us they placed every essence of Jesus Christ throughout the house for protection, but it didn't work. Their daughter was still attacked, and he still witnessed a dark shadow entity. I have a degree in psychology, and the psychologist in me considered many possibilities. The Murrays were aware of the home's tragic history. I considered that maybe they were influenced a bit by it. I had to keep that in mind. People's minds can play tricks on them when they're influenced. I've done this myself as experiments in the past. I've told a group of people a certain place was haunted, and when they entered, they all seemed to have paranormal experiences within it. Yet nothing was there. It was all made up. So I had to consider this when dealing with the Murray case. But that didn't explain Mr. Murray's daughter and her bruises and how adamant she was during my interview about the attack. Brittany's baby was strangled. Something tried to strangle Mr. Murray's daughter. This was all very interesting, as disturbing as it was. But let's get back to me and Alan and what we uncovered. Our first stop was the daughter's bedroom. Both daughters shared the room. The electromagnetic fields in the room were well beyond the comfort zone. Yet the only electronic device in the room was a television. That barely registered anything on our meters. But the room overall was logging numbers that one would expect to come from extremely large electrical devices. The room was also the last door on the left. The door to the room was at the end of the hall, just above the entrance to the attic. While Alan and I were logging electromagnetic fields and temperature data in their room, something rather questionable caught our eye. The closet door in the girls' room opened by itself. The door opened all the way. Alan and I stood there filming the door open. It's one thing for a door to open without human intervention, but it's another for it to close. Alan immediately closed the closet door back and latched it. He made sure it was securely closed. He even went as far as to put his shoulder into the door to see if it would knock it free from the latch and open. We were considering that maybe walking around in the room caused the door to open from vibrations, but this was not the case. Once again, Alan and I stood there and witnessed this closet door open by itself and then go back the other direction and close. This went against all physics. I could see gravity pulling it open. But to go against it and close back led me to believe there was some sort of force causing that. Alan suggested I take some electromagnetic feed reads of the door and the closet, and I'm glad he did. I walked into that closet and my EMF reader went off the hook. It was buzzing, lighting up, it, it was causing a ruckus. I looked up inside that closet and saw a movable panel. As it would turn out, there was access to the attic from the little girl's room. Not only was this room beside the hall that accessed the attic, the room actually had its own access to it. We would later find out through our extended research into the history of the property that this was where the original nursery was back when tragedy struck in 2002. 
When I extended my arm holding the EMF detector towards the panel that accessed the attic from the girls' room, it became hot and on the digital display added a second decimal point. This was unheard of. The amount of electromagnetism coming from that hidden attic panel was beyond amazing. I quickly removed myself from the closet and looked at Alan. I told him there is no way the reeds could be that high. I could actually feel it. It felt like some sort of compression was around me. I couldn't even stand to be in the closet anymore. That left only one thing left for us to do. Go to the attic. But before we could even make our way out of the girls' room, the laser grid alarm started going off. Something had broke the beams of light and was literally just a few feet from us. Alan and I immediately ran out into the hallway and into the laser grid. We couldn't see anything initially, but there was no doubt something crossed through our triggered light system. The camera monitoring that area powered off. So we were at a loss there. Total battery drain. Alan looked up and saw the hallway's entrance to the attic. It was your stereotypical attic entrance with a pull string that allowed you to access a ladder. He knew we had to go up there. At this point, my mind was racing. The daughters of the Murrays had access to this attic from their room. The main hallway in which Alan and I were standing had access to the attic. This is where Mr. Murray saw the shadow figure. The attic was where, a decade ago, a dead baby was found in a shoebox. I looked at Alan and gave him the okay to pull the ladder down from the attic so we could access it. I never in my life would have expected the results of this. I was equipped with a handheld camera to document us entering the attic. Alan pulled the ladder down and it was time for us to see what exactly resided in that attic. What came after that was completely insane. I was behind Alan as he started to make his way up the ladder and enter the attic. He wasn't halfway up the ladder when the most intense and unsettling sound forced him back down the ladder. What we both heard and I filmed was a series of screams and these weren't just any screams there were many of them and it was all in unison it was like a choir of screams that's the only way I can describe it screams in harmony yet agony we both felt uneasy Alan jumped down from the ladder we both just stood there in the hallway he looked at me and said what did you hear I told him I heard screams and he acknowledged that was one of the strangest things I had ever witnessed. The attic, the source, the source of the origin story, the source of the family that now resided, the attic screamed at us. It shakes me now just reliving it. Neither Alan nor I experienced anything like that before. The attic screamed, but it wasn't just an infant, it was a choir of despair. Just how many children were taken by this house? Alan and I knew we at least had to go up there, and we did. We cautiously entered the attic and sat in the respective positions. Our gauges on the electromagnetic field testers, ionic testers, and temperature guns were doing things they weren't designed to do. Malfunctions were everywhere. The whole area felt like a thick fog that pushed against our chest and made it just almost impossible to breathe. We couldn't measure anything scientifically up there. Nothing was working right. I remember vividly turning my camera to my face and saying that it was such an uneasy feeling being up there where an infant was found dead. 
I look back and consider how many others were actually there. Alan and I left the attic, we brushed it off, but we both knew the house was not safe, and apparently, even for Brittany and her infant, something else had happened. There was darkness living in that attic. That attic trapped the souls of children. We grabbed our gear and walked outside. The house was overwhelming at that point. Alan and I looked at each other and without saying a word, we understood what the other was thinking. The house was evil. Its origins will probably be forever unknown, but we felt it. We saw it. We heard it. Everything pointed to that screaming attic. When you hear a choir of children scream in desperation to you, it rattles the heart. It rattles your mind. There was more than just Brittany's child up there, and I think the Murray's children were next. That attic was going to suck in whatever innocence it could. But we put a stop to that. Following our investigation, the Murray family refused to enter the house. After hearing what we had uncovered, they felt it best to leave everything behind and relocate. They moved in with some family that lived locally. Despite their strong beliefs in Christianity, the Murray family wanted something done to ensure they wouldn't be followed by evil. Allen was educated on many practices and suggested binding the house in salt. The use of salt in spiritual binding practices even crosses the religious spectrum. I felt it certainly wasn't going to hurt anything, so Allen bound the property using salt. There was a snake in Eden, and probably still is, and there is a lot more to this story that hopefully one day I can share with you. As far as I know, the house has remained empty since the Murray family relocated. I can't say for sure, but maybe Brittany was telling the truth. Maybe, just maybe, something did kill her baby and it wasn't her. Considering what happened to the Murray family years later and what we witnessed as paranormal investigators, something evil was, in fact, lurking in that attic. What it was, I may never know. I'm just happy that after all of the tragedy, the landlord doesn't rent the property anymore. I've seen some shit, and I'm going to tell you about it. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. Join Stephen on Facebook at facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative. That's facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative.